Welcome to Lyme Dialogues, the podcast about Lyme disease. My name is Angela Knight. I'm a journalist. And today I'm speaking to an English writer who has Lyme disease. James Dellingpole is a writer, journalist and columnist for national newspapers and The Spectator magazine. He has published several novels and political books. He also presents his own podcast called Dellingpod. James suffered from Lyme disease for many years before it was finally diagnosed a few years ago. He has had stem cell treatment and found a new technique which he says has made him feel normal again. Welcome to the Lyme Dialogues, James. Thank you. Firstly, how long were you ill before you were diagnosed? Angela, I really don't know. And I think that this is an experience common to a lot of Lyme sufferers, that I went through the same misery that I think a lot of us have been through, where you go for years with all manner of disparate conditions, none of them apparently related. And you're going to the doctor to have these, these different complaints treated and the doctor can't help you. And you start thinking, am I going mad? Am I a hypochondriac? And you're not getting better. You're actually getting worse. I remember there came a point where I started thinking, I'm doomed. I'm, I'm never going to get better. And no one can explain what's wrong with me. And what do I do? I know the feeling. I had the same experience. What were your symptoms? Well, <laughs> how long have you got? I'll just go, go with the ones that I can, as I can remember them. Yeah. So one of the more disturbing things I got towards the end before I finally got those blood tests, which told me what was wrong with me, I had this creeping numbness in my legs, particularly. They'd start in my, start in my feet and gradually work my way up, up my legs. And I'd be, I'd be sitting watching the TV and I'd be jiggering my legs around to try and get the circulation flowing in order to deal with this sort of pins and needles. And I remember once or twice, I woke up in the night sort of almost paralyzed. That was really freaky. I used to get sort of shooting, tingling pains, stabbing pains in, in, in different parts of my body. But I suppose the dominant feature, well, for as long as I can remember, is the brain fog. I know that Lyme attacks different parts of people depending on their physiology and and so on, but it definitely got me mostly in my head. And as you can imagine, because my job is is using words, I remember a few years ago, I got what's known as aphasia. I would start forgetting words. I'm really interested in, for example, pop trivia. I couldn't remember the name of albums that I really ought to know. And also people's names. I mean, I know this is a male complaint anyway, a middle-aged, late middle-aged male complaint anyway, but I started to find that even people I knew quite well, I could not remember their names. And I thought there was something wrong here. But the brain fog, the brain fog would come and go. I suppose this was an early indicator that this was a kind of thing inside me which went in waves. It would come in maybe three-week intervals, something like that. I can't remember exactly. I used to describe it as... I'm feeling viral because I thought it was a virus at the time, you know, and I, and I would get viral things where I get a kind of a sort of tingly fuzziness through my body and through my brain and a kind of numbness where I touch my forehead and it was like there was no, am I making sense here? Yes, no feeling. I remember when I had that kind of sensation, I thought I was having a stroke. We do start looking for diagnoses, don't we, that, that using 
conventional things that we know about. So for example, I'm having a brain tumor, I'm having a stroke, I've got cancer, I've got... These are the things that the medical establishment is used, used to dealing with and talking about. And I know that you know this and everyone else has got mine knows this. You very quickly become more of an expert than, than almost any doctor you can name because our conventional medicine does not want to know. They write you off. I think it's, it's a scandal. Yeah. And how many doctors and consultants did you um, see before you were diagnosed? Oh, I went to see quite a lot. So obviously loads and loads of GPs. And uh, I, I have to say, they were not unsympathetic. They just were bloody useless at dealing with it. Uh, there was one, I went to see a private GP. And she obviously gave me that extra care and attention you get from when you go and see a private GP. And she gave me all manner of blood tests. But none of these blood tests were helpful. Because unless you you know, unless you check for the various antibodies for Borrelia and the and the various um uh, what are they called co-infections, you're never going to get to the bottom of it. And everyone thinks you're a hypochondriac. I remember I'd thought about Lyme disease before over the years, but quite a common reaction when you mention this to a doctor is you haven't got Lyme disease, and you think, well, they're a doctor. I mean, they'd know just by looking at me, you know, whether I've got Lyme disease or not. Doctors don't know. They haven't a bloody clue. How did you know about Lyme disease then? Well, it's that thing, isn't it? If you have spent your life being riddled with all manner of medical problems which you can't explain, inevitably, if the doctors can't help you, you start doing your own research, don't you? And you start looking around at possibilities. And now in the age of Google, you might start Googling your symptoms and possibly one way or another, you'd come up with Lyme as a possibility. So I suppose it was that. Yeah. And how was your Borreliosis diagnosed? I sent off at massive expense some blood samples to the Armin labs, I think, in, in Germany. And, you know, I, I had two types of Borrelia. I had lots of the co-infections. Yeah. Some of the problems I've had, I don't think are, are Borrelia. I think they're the co-infections. For example, the most unbelievable itching across my midriff my torso particularly it used to drive me mad mm-hmm. absolutely mad i used to wake up in the night itching and scratching yeah so i so i sort of researched and yeah sent off to the arm in labs but you see then you've got your diagnosis but that's just the beginning not the end then you've got to find out a way of dealing with this thing and it's quite frightening i think one of the places i went for my treatment so i'm, I'm leaping ahead of myself here I went to a clinic in Frankfurt for stem cell therapy. My brain's gone blank here. Okay, what am I well, trying to can, say? Can I just, just before we get to that, mm. Mm. I yeah. was going to ask you, how did you feel when you heard that you had a label for your symptoms? Oh, fantastic. It's just the best thing. It's like, what I've got is real. It's not imaginary. It was a wonderful, wonderful moment, not least because before I, I had the Armin lab test, I'd sent off for a standard Elisa spot test. And of course, it had come up negative, as these things always do. It's a very feeble test. And the glee of my children. Yeah, you thought you had Lyme disease, but you haven't. See, now you've taken the test and you're a hypochondriac and blah, blah, blah. blah. They absolutely loved it because it was... Dad is an idiot. Dad is wrong. And of course, not just my kids. Anyone, any Lyme sufferer who's got a family knows that no one bloody believes you. No one has faith. 
No, exactly. So what treatment did you have after having the results from Armin Lab? Did you get any treatment? Okay. I knew that there was... How did I know? I knew that there was no point going through conventional medicine. I just sort of knew instinctively from my experiences in the past that if they were incapable of diagnosing it, they're probably incapable of, of treating it. I then started looking around on the internet and I thought about lots of options. There seemed to be a preponderance of clinics in Germany that, that are good at this. There was that one clinic in Augsburg, which I rather fancied, where they give you, I like the idea of hypothermic therapy, where they heat your body to the temperature, which kills off the Borrelia, essentially. I thought that was interesting. In the end, I didn't end up going there. I went to the Infusio Clinic in Frankfurt. I loved going there. I loved, I, you know, it was like going to a high-end spa with needles. But I'm still not sure to this day how much difference it made to me. I mean, I definitely did go through periods where I felt significantly better. But I still don't know to this day whether, whether that was a result of stem cell or whether it was a result of the kind of antivirals that I, I went on a drip. I'm kind of very anti-antibiotics. My belief is that once you're past that sort of that window of about, what is it, six weeks when antibiotics might be effective in killing off, once it's in your system, once it's deep buried in, in you, antibiotics are pretty hopeless. So what does stem cell therapy involve? What was it like? Okay, I think you're there for two weeks or three weeks when you're on drips every day. And what they're doing is getting your body into the optimal shape for removing your stem cells. And then what they do is under local anaesthetic, they get a kind of a large needle and suck some fatty tissue from out of your buttocks. You get quite bruised afterwards. And then they, they put it in liquid, this substance, and this kind of allegedly releases all the, the stem cells, which are inert while they're in your fat. And then they inject it back into you on a drip. I didn't inquire too much into the process. I just thought, well, they're German. I trust they know what they're doing. But actually, with hindsight, I think I probably should have worried a bit more about it. I think I should have said, well, hang on a second. How kosher is this? It was when somebody used the phrase experimental treatment that I thought, oh God, uh, uh, maybe I've been a bit too cavalier about this. But as you know, when you've got Lyme disease, you'll do anything. You just want to get better. Absolutely. So that was my first treatment. And did you notice any improvement? There were definitely phases where I felt significantly better. But then I went back for a, a second stage of the treatment. I can't remember what it's called. They use a different type of stem cell or something. And it, I really didn't feel that brilliant after that. The thing is, you don't know how long it's going to take for the stem cells to kick in. I wish I could say stem cell is the answer to curing Lyme disease, but I don't know. I enjoyed my experiences at Infusio. I couldn't 100% say this changed my life this is what rescued me so after that one of the lucky things about being a journalist is that i'm like a hub uh when, when people know you've got lyme disease you get contacted by people you get to suss out who's had good experiences who's had bad experiences and one of the people who contacted me was this random girl who'd been british airways's youngest female pilot and she was an absolute a-type like me you know like doing stuff and one day 
she'd been completely knocked back in that way that we kind of limeys can be by you know by sort of viral fatigue or whatever and she went from being able to kind of run five miles every day to being kind of completely sort of bedridden and she'd taken a different route she hadn't been diagnosed with lyme but i think you know she probably did have it she had done something called the perrin technique and ray perrin is a doctor in manchester i think he's got osteopathic training as well and he worked you mentioned this he worked with a doctor who was very very good at treating lyme disease and they worked as a tag team and they'd had great success and then of course the medical establishment clamped down hard on that doctor who was having success uh, and and basically said if you carry on treating lyme patients in this way we're going to strike you off so he had no option but to give up on this working with ray perrin but Ray Perrin theorizes, and I think he's probably right, that we Lyme sufferers focus far too much on the Borrelia, on the spirochete. We think that this is a problem that could be solved by somehow zapping all these nasty microbes in our body. And we, we obsess about dealing with Babesia or whatever the other, other things are. And he theorizes that actually... Lyme disease is just one of a range of conditions which become an autoimmune disease and that it's not so much a, a bacterial problem ultimately. The bacteria is just a trigger for something that we are susceptible to anyway, we sufferers. And that's why chronic fatigue syndrome, ME and Lyme disease are so similar because they are really one and the same the fact that you get bitten by a tick and that it triggers this effect is not a, a sign that lyme disease is this terrible thing which, which you get if you've been unlucky if you've been bitten by a tick the tick bite is a trigger for a condition that you were susceptible to anyway and what it has to do with is the poor functioning of your limbic and your lymphatic systems and so that's how it gets treated so i've been having this treatment with the Perrin technique for I think a year and a half maybe longer and I'm definitely definitely much much better than I was so and actually interestingly the woman who treats me says that she's had other patients who've been to the infusio clinic in Frankfurt and they respond more quickly to the Perrin technique treatment than people who haven't so anecdotal I know as we we all know, it's also up in the air and different people respond different ways. But that's what I've heard. And in lockdown, presumably you're not getting treated. Yes, I am. Interestingly, Ray Perrin has said to all his practitioners, now more than ever, your patients need your attention because they are more vulnerable than most to COVID-19. Therefore, it is your bounden duty if you possibly can, to carry on treating them as before. So I've been driving for my treatments regularly, and I thank God for that because it's been a lifesaver. Because I do think that if you do get the virus, it's going to mess you up more badly if, if you've got a problem. Yeah. Do you have to drive to Manchester or where do you go? Thank goodness there are practitioners dotted around the country. Otherwise, it'd be a hell of a trip. Manchester's bloody miles from anywhere, it seems to me. <laughs> now, as you know, Lyme mimics so many other illnesses. 
and you can have different symptoms yeah. from one week to the next. So you're in danger, as mm. you said, of being labelled a hypochondriac. You've written that mm. no one believed your problem was real. If you complained, people would say, off he goes again. What's it this time? A brain tumour? That's how it was for you, wasn't it? Oh, I think we've all been through this. I mean, I, there is a sort of camaraderie of Lyme sufferers, isn't it? Because we've all had the same horrible experiences. And, and I think you're right. However horrible the symptoms are, and they are just so annoying in so many different ways, almost the worst thing of all is that no one believes you. They just don't. Even, even people who love you, they just get, they tire after a while. They just think, oh, you know, what are we going to do with James? Here, off he goes again. Yeah. So yeah. You also, like a stuck record. Yeah. You also said that if you have cancer, you get sympathy, understanding and prompt treatment. With Lyme, you're pretty much on your own, which I would entirely agree with. Do you think doctors and infectious disease consultants will look at Borreliosis differently once the COVID pandemic has subsided? No, I don't. The disease is still so ill understood by the medical establishment. And I think that they're now at the point where they know what the target, the bullseye rash looks like. They're there, they've got that far. And they know that if they whack it with antibiotics in the early stage, then you're probably going to be all right. But you see, that's the healthcare system. They're okay if there's a drug out there that you can just zap it with. What they're not very good at is kind of stuff that requires more thoughtful diagnosis and more complicated care. Imagine trying to incorporate the, the parent technique into the National Health Service. I mean, I think he's trying, but imagine. We're talking sessions where you need regular massage, initially every single week. It's called effleurage. It's designed to get your lymphatic system, your limbic system working properly again. And part of it is self-massage. Well, that's fine. You can do that. But part of it involves hands-on treatment particularly with your head, the cranial stuff you can't do yourself. Imagine the healthcare system already overstretched trying to do that. Where are they going to find the number of practitioners? So how many people do you reckon have got Lyme disease right now, diagnosed or undiagnosed? There's going to be thousands of us all over the country who've been written off. And I fear that we are going to remain written off. So we're on our own. Yes, it's very much DIY, isn't it? It is. Um, you said that you wasted a lot of time and NHS money having x-rays, different tests and blood tests, trying to get to the bottom yeah. of why you were so ill. If you could fix the Lyme problem in the UK, what would you suggest? You've got to start with education, haven't you? I think that in every surgery, there ought to be one doctor who has been to a course maybe even just a workshop but all it would need is is an afternoon wouldn't it with somebody like us who's been through it all we could say look this is what the symptoms look like at least at that stage you'd have the doctors able to diagnose patients in every surgery you know even in sort of village practices there'd be somebody there you'd be able to go to and, and the other doctors would be able to refer patients to him or her that would take a huge burden off undiagnosed Lyme sufferers finally they'd get diagnosed then I suppose you'd well you talk about things like the parent technique I mean it's worked for me I don't know I don't know whether it works for everyone but but I think it's worth looking at I was going to say 
The Royal College of GPs does an online Lyme disease sort of symptoms. But uh, the last time I heard, only 3% of doctors had looked at it. I'm surprised it's as high as 3%, to be honest. Does it accord with what you know about Lyme disease? I I haven't looked at it, obviously. I did look at it and I thought it was pretty weak, to be honest. (laughs) You don't surprise me. I mean, am I saying anything to you that you haven't heard from every other Lyme sufferer in the world? We all know what the deal is. We should be consulted and we should be giving these workshops and we should be explaining to the doctors that what their job is. What advice would you give to anyone who thinks they might have Lyme disease? I think that if you don't want to go the expensive route of getting your blood tests off to the German labs, which costs about it's going to cost you about two grand i think to get get it all checked out and by the way i don't some people poo 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 arm in labs it seems to me that they do a very reasonable job it was almost an industry to discredit them which i think is not fair also when i took my arm in labs test result positive mm. to the london yeah. hospital of tropical diseases they said we don't yeah. we don't accept foreign <laughs> tests they're not yeah yeah them. yeah of course they <laughs> Anything to pass the buck. Yes. So frustrating. But I think that ultimately most diagnoses of Lyme are not through blood tests. The weight of evidence from the symptoms is normally enough to be able to tell any sensible person that this is what you've got. It ought to be enough. I mean, there are quite distinctive markers of Lyme. Brain fog is the most obvious one. There are, of course many more. You could fill a kind of medical dictionary with all the things that, that I've had over, over the years. Yeah, and you know, use resources like this and say, well, hang on, this makes total sense to me. This is what I've got. And be confident about it. Don't feel embarrassed. Don't feel like you're a hypochondriac. You probably have got it. It's much more common than people realise. And, and how are you? Well, I manage mine. The, my main symptom is chronic fatigue. Um, so I usually work yeah. in the morning and have a rest in the afternoon. And I, I found that herbs were the ones that helped to manage the Lyme. So I very much put my faith into herbs, thanks mm. to Armin. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Everyone has their own route. Yeah. And you know, there's a big business in discrediting anyone who's successful in this Lyme world. Interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. interesting. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time no. in lockdown. Pleasure. Absolute yes. pleasure. Very nice Please. to meet you. Good. All right. Good luck. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. If you know others who would be interested in James's story, please share this podcast. And if you have a Lyme story to share, please contact me via the email limedialogues at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Until next time, when my guest will be the landscape garden designer, Bunny Guinness. Until then, take care and goodbye.